0: My name is Matt, I'm a senior pastor here. Uh, it's great to have you on Christmas Sunday. If you're a regular attender, if you're a member, we're glad you're back. If you're a guest today, hopefully you feel welcome. And if you're joining us online, I want you to feel welcome as well. It's great having you with us. Today I want to begin by telling you the story of one of my friends meeting Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. I've never met Bruce Willis or else the story would be that much more cool. But he met Bruce Willis, and he was a member of my church, a church where I was a pastor, executive pastor in Louisville. And he was a member there. He was a limo driver. So he got to meet a number of celebrities. And after a while, that just kind of wears off, right? Like you lose the the all over uh, celebrities. But Bruce Willis was his all-time favorite, and I'm going to tell you why. When he picked up Bruce Willis, he said he was really nice, really friendly, talked to him, didn't just grunt, but he engaged with him personally. He left a little window down because he wanted to be able to talk to him. Uh, he would take, he would take him, Bruce Willis to Derby at Churchill Downs, so he took him to Derby, picked him up, took him to the after party, and after the after party, he planned to take him back to his hotel. But when Bruce Willis got in the car, he said, hey, I'm hungry, can I get anything to eat? And he goes, well, it's 2 in the morning. There's not a lot open. Um, there's uh, La Bamba's um, where there's burritos as big as your head. That's about all that's open at 2 in the morning. And he goes, well, was it, is it any, any good? Can, it, can we go there? He goes, what do you think about the food? He goes, well, it's burritos as big as your head at 2 in the morning. Um, so I guess, yeah, we'll go there. So he takes him to the parking lot, drops him off. He thinks he's just going to go in by himself. And Bruce Willis comes around to the window and he says, hey, aren't you coming with me? Come in with me, let's go. And so at two in the morning, one of the members of our church got to eat with Bruce Willis in La Bumba's burritos as big as your head. And we were all super jealous. You know, why didn't he text the rest of us? What makes that story so neat isn't just the fact that it's Bruce Willis, but it's that he had a meal. Meals are the great levelers, food is the great common denominator. And so When we think about food, no matter who you are, where you are, what your background is, you have to eat, and so it's one thing that we all have in common. I read a quote this week by Carolyn Steele in her book, Hungry City, how food shapes our lives. Few acts are more expressive of companionship than the shared meal. Someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on the way to becoming one. Sarah and I have been to 43 states out of 50 so far. Uh, for, for the first five and a half years of our ministry, we traveled for our denomination. I was an evangelist. But my favorite part about that job was getting to interview pastors, senior pastors all around the country. So I was figuring up this week, I probably got to interview about 250 senior pastors while doing that job, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, But one of the things that helps us remember where we've been over that five and a half years, which was from 2002 till I came on staff here in 2007, is the food we ate at different parts of the country. So for instance, when I was up in Montana, a fresh trout caught from the Gallatin River, about 60 miles north of Yellowstone, I was there at the Montana Baptist Association camp for three weeks, the caretaker loved to fish, and I loved to eat. So we had a great relationship all, all three weeks I was there. It was so good, I can still remember how it tasted. I don't know if it's because of the way he and his wife cooked it or if it was just because it was out of the river uh, that was near where the cabin where we were staying. I remember Escondido, California, some of the best Mexican food I've ever eaten in my life in Southern California. I like Mexican food here. We go all the time, but there's nothing like Mexican food in Southern California. Um, I remember being in Pennsylvania, Limerick, Pennsylvania, eating shoe fly pie with a family. and They had two daughters, and my wife and I remember, because our girls were babies, uh, one of Riley was just a newborn, and Caitlin, of course, was three. And we remember how much this family loved their daughters, and their, their daughters were in high school and college, and how much fun they had. And when we left, we said, when our girls are grown, that's the way we want, to, want our house to be. Now, I remember being in Sao Paulo, Brazil, eating... Uh, I guess shish kebabs, chicken kebabs. Um, we, we had gone to a f- Brazilian steakhouse, a churrascaria, famous, nice, expensive. But the, I don't really remember the food there in Sao Paulo as much as I remember the food cooked by the lady of the house where we were staying. Her son and I were college roommates, and I went the summer before I got married. And she and her husband, Mr. and Mrs. Gusmo, would fix kebabs over like a stone fire pit with just a grate that I don't know where where it'd come from. They were so good. You could just smell this. You could just taste the smoke. They were great. So food often is a way that we associate our greatest memories. Think about the meals you've shared, the stories you've shared around those meals, the lessons you've learned while you ate that food, new people you met, love you found over a meal, Important decisions you've made over food or jokes you've heard or jokes you've told. I asked my my wife's father if I could marry her over a meal. I took him to a real expensive French restaurant, Bob Evans, in (laughs) South Charleston. And and I still remember this. I was so nervous, right? My hands were sweating and I'm going into the restaurant. I can still remember it. It was the one over here in South Charleston. And I'm going in and he knows, right? You men know when you're about to get asked that question. Uh, I can't imagine what goes through your mind, but you know. Um, and so I'm sitting there and he sits there and I'm trying to, you know, really impress him. So you get whatever you want on the menu, Mr. Young, whatever you want, I will take care of it today. You know, Bob Evans. Um, so we ate and the whole meal, you know, I'm sure I'm nervous, he could tell I'm nervous, I'm waiting to the end. But there was just something about sharing a meal that seemed to create peace. Uh, in that situation, food is the great leveler. I read this week that Nigel Slater, he's a food writer, he says that memories are connected to flavors and foods we enjoy. When he was a kid, he said he remembers his mom's kisses. Uh, they would joke and call them like marshmallows. He said his mom's kisses were like marshmallows. And he wrote that his was, he was nine years old when his mom died and his father started leaving marshmallows beside his bed each night. Until he went off to college. Today's service is all about sharing a meal with each other, but also sharing a meal with God. We're not gonna have a full course meal, but in a moment we are gonna take communion. And what I wanna invite you to see or invite you to know uh, is that communion is proof that we have peace with God. Communion is proof that we have peace with God. In the next few minutes, I want you to see that communion is designed like a meal was designed in the Old and New Testament, where God invites us to his table, and it's his way of showing us and reminding us that he has made peace with us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, why is it important that you know this? Well, I think there's two reasons. They're not in your notes, but it's important that you know this, first of all, because I want you to have a good Christmas. I want Christmas this year for you to be more than just presents and food and busyness. I want you to have a Christmas that has significance, but I also want you to have a communion service that has significance. And so I was scheduled to preach on how Isaiah 9:6 says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and early this week, as I got into that, I just couldn't get away from the fact that this is Communion Sunday, and we're going to see the theme of peace run through all that we discuss about the table. So we're going to start in a moment. We're going to go back in time about 4,000 years quickly, and then we're going to go back in time about 2,000 years, and then we're going to come up to present day, and we're going to take communion together. Let's do this. If you have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, the words will be on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bible or your Bible app, we're actually going to start in verse 14 today. If you'll stand with me, out of respect for the Bible, I'll read Luke 22 and verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Communion is proof that we have peace with God. You may be seated. Let's start by going way back in time and look at about 4,000 years ago. Number one, in ancient times, God used meals to symbolize peace. In ancient times, God used meals to symbolize peace. There's a true story in Genesis 18, where God comes in some form. He appeared as a human to Abraham and he has two angels with him. And in Genesis 18, it seems that Abraham knew that this was either God or some kind of, some person who was supernatural. Because Abraham comes running out of his tent. He falls on his face and begins to worship this one of these three. So he knew that somehow, way, it was the Lord. Now Abraham, after he worships the Lord, he gets up and he offers these three men food and water. He turns to his wife and he says, go make some bread. He, he turns to his servant and he says, let's go kill the best calf. And then I love Genesis 18. It's so simple, and it's just so real and raw. He brings these three men, one of them being God. He brings them cheese curds. you got to read it, right? If you're from Wisconsin, you're loving Genesis 18 right now. He brings them cheese curds. He's an appetizer, cheese sticks in essence. But through that meal, it was Abraham's way in the ancient world of saying, I want to make peace with you. I do not want to be your enemy. I want to be your friend. We see the same thing in Genesis 26, where Abraham's son Isaac makes peace with his enemy. His enemy is King Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And King Abimelech had his eye on Isaac's wife. He didn't know it was Isaac's wife. And Isaac had lied initially, was a bit deceitful, just like his son Jacob would be. But there's this conflict over his wife, there's a conflict over his family, conflict over what will eventually be two separate nations, and they're about to go to war, and they decide to avert the war. They decide to save human life, and the king, Abimelech, and Isaac made peace over a meal. Genesis 26 says, "...let us make a treaty, let us prepare a feast, let us eat and drink." So in the ancient world, people made peace over a meal. True story, in Genesis 31, you have Isaac's son, Jacob, having problems with his in-laws. This Christmas, if you have any kind of conflict or problems with your in-laws, Genesis 31 is for you. Talk about problems. Jacob had worked for 20 years for the freedom to take his wives and his livestock somewhere else. He had to work for seven years before he could marry the man's daughter, Laban's daughter. Come to find out, he didn't, under the cover of darkness, he was probably half-sauced, he married the wrong woman. And so ended up, he married the second woman and had to work seven more years. And then after those 14 years, he had to work six years to be able to take his livestock. So 20 years, his father-in-law Laban was sneaky. He kept moving the target. Right? He kept changing the goal, changing the stipulations. And so in Genesis 31, we find that Jacob has had enough. I think I would have had enough long before 20 years. But he's had enough. And he's about to go to war with his father-in-law, and his father-in-law is about to go to war with him. But again, you've got family, you've got children, you've got grandchildren. and a beautiful passage in Genesis 31, they decide to let their bygones be bygones. And right in the middle of the road, they fix a meal. And they share a meal in front of their families to say, we're going to put our differences behind us. We are going to make peace. One more story. Exodus 34 and Exodus, Exodus 24. Moses is called to the top of Mount Sinai with the 70 elders. If you've never read Exodus, it's an awesome book full of sto- true stories. And so Moses had received the Ten Commandments from God, taken them back to Israel, and Israel already broke the Ten Commandments spiritually. Moses broke the Ten Commandments physically, right? And so God is calling him back to the top of the mountain like a kid gets called to the principal's office. My daughter this week at at JA got called to the office. It was something good. It wasn't anything bad. They just wanted her opinion on something, along with a number of other students. And as I was hearing that story, I was thinking about Moses getting called to the top of Mount Sinai. You're with the 70 elders. You think this might be it. We might not be coming back down from the top of the mountain. Well, come to find out, when they got to the top of the mountain, God had prepared a banquet for them. And it says in Exodus 24 and verse 9 they climbed the mountain, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. They saw the God of Israel. He was standing on a pavement of something like sapphires, pure, clear, sky blue. He didn't hurt these pillar leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. God was saying, I want to make peace with you. I know you've broken my commandments and we all know you deserve to die, but I am pursuing you to make peace. That's the character of our God. Psalm 23 and verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It says in Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9, talking about the great day, the future day, the great marriage supper of the Lamb. He says, On this mountain, someday in the future, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. And that day they will say, surely, surely, This is our God. We trusted in Him and He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. So in ancient times, God the Father used meals. He used food. He used tables as a way to say, I want to make peace with you. It's a beautiful picture. Now, let's go just 2,000 years in the past. Jesus, God the Son, did the exact same thing. Jesus used meals to symbolize peace. If you love to read theology, if you like to study the Bible, you want to pick up the book by Robert Karras entitled, Eating Your Way Through Luke's Gospel. It's not on the screen. I just found it this morning. Eating Your Way Through Luke's Gospel. Um, He says in his book... Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. If you read the Gospel of Luke, almost every chapter, Jesus is eating somewhere. Now, it hit me this week. Why did Jesus come to earth? That's Luke 19.10. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. He came to save us, you and me. So why Jesus came was to save us. But here's the question that Luke is answering. How did Jesus come? Or what method did Jesus use to do ministry? And I'm going to be chewing on this over the holidays as we approach 2019. Jesus' primary way of doing ministry was hanging out, partying, eating, having fun, having fellowship with other people it wasn't flashy jesus used a table he used food and drink as a way to say let's hang out and do life together we see it in luke chapter 7 and verse 34 the son of man came eating and drinking and you say here is a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners Jesus' strategy for reaching people was a long meal that stretched late into the evening. He did evangelism and discipleship around a table with some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, and a pitcher of wine. For Jesus, having a meal was a sign of friendship with tax collectors and sinners. Think of that. If What if, now I'm just throwing this out here. What if our greatest strategy for evangelism was to invite people over for dinner? What if that's all we needed to do? That's radical. That is right. Ra- you know how busy we are as a church? I mean, we got, our programs have programs here at Bible Center, right? I mean, we got programs for programs for programs. But what if 2019, and we're still going to do stuff, but what if in 2019 every one of us just started inviting more people over for dinner? Can you imagine the impact that we could have in the city of Charleston? You look at the life of Jesus, my mind is blown. That's what he did. In Luke 5, Jesus was known for being the life of the party. There was a Jewish man named Levi. His Greek name was Matthew. Levi, Matthew, was a tax collector. And in Luke 5, Jesus said, follow me. Matthew decided to follow Jesus. And it says, I love Luke 5, Luke or Matthew threw a party, invited Jesus, and he invited all of his friends. And the message translation is this. He was with all of the other disreputable characters. Jesus loved to hang out with disreputable characters. Use that word in a sentence today. The religious leaders couldn't stand him for that. They couldn't stand him for that. And this week I've been trying to like make sense. Why did the religious leaders, why couldn't they stand him? Were they against the party? And actually, according to Jewish history, they weren't against the party at all. Uh, Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, were known for their parties. They weren't against the parties. Isaiah talked about the great banquet feasts to come, and they would throw extravagant parties themselves. Here's the difference. They weren't against Jesus for throwing parties. They were against Jesus for his guest list. They didn't like the disreputable characters that were starting to hang out because it was interrupting their religiosity. Jesus knew it, and he still ticked them off. He didn't care. Read Luke 11. It's almost too brutal to read in public. Read Luke 11. Jesus would look at them and he would speak his mind because Jesus knew that he came for disreputable characters. Guess what? Every one of us are a disreputable character. We all are broken and in need of Christ. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. In Luke 9, Jesus Jesus said in Luke 5:34, When you're celebrating a wedding, don't skimp on the cake and the wine. You feast. As long as the bride and groom are with you, you have a good time. No one throws cold water on a friendly bonfire. This is kingdom come. In Luke 9, Jesus fed the 5,000 as a way to make peace. In Luke 10, Jesus ate with Mary and Martha. Martha was so busy. And Jesus is like, look, just come. Just sit here and enjoy my company. In Luke 14, Jesus says this. Quickly, get out into the city. Think about our emphasis as a church. We want to be for the gospel and for the city. Say, well, why are we doing that? Well, listen to the words of Jesus. Quickly, get out into the city streets and alleys. Collect all who look like they need a square meal. All the misfits and homeless and wretched you can lay your hands on and bring them here. Go to the country roads. Jesus loved West Virginia. It's a sign. (laughs) Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Luke 15, when the prodigal son returns home, the emphasis of that is the father who throws an extravagant feast for his son with whom he had made peace. In Luke 19, Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus for a meal. In Luke 24, even after Jesus rose from the grave, he's still having meals with people as a way to make peace. Now, there's a lot of references in your notes. and We don't have time to talk about them, but they're exciting. We'll talk about Luke 24. Luke 24, Jesus is on his way. There's two disciples on the road to Emmaus and it says they're downcast, they're sad, they're depressed. Jesus comes up along beside them, and they don't know it's Jesus. He's already died, he's already buried, he's risen from the grave. They still think he's dead. Jesus comes up along beside them, and they say, he says, why are you so sad? And they say, well, haven't you heard the great teacher was killed in Jerusalem? He's dead, he's buried, that's it. That's it. They're on their way home, probably to explain to their wives or their family why they spent so much money investing in this religious zealot named Jesus, right? They just spent a bunch of money, a bunch of time, they have went all in and now they think their investment is for naught. Jesus begins to ask some questions and then Jesus begins to talk with them about the Bible. Well, didn't Moses say in the book of Genesis? Didn't Moses say in the book of Exodus? And he begins to teach them and remind them about what the Old Testament said Of the Messiah, Jesus. They still don't know it's him, but at this time they're like, man, this guy's a good teacher. So they invite him into their house for dinner. And Luke 24 says, as they sat down, verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. And in verse 31, that's when their eyes were opened. They realized it was Jesus. And they went to run to tell the other disciples. And it says in verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. And Then in verses 41 through 43, while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. You have to read John 21 this week. In John 21, Jesus has risen from the grave. When we think of Jesus risen from the grave, we almost think of like a ghost. But he wasn't a ghost. He physically, flesh and blood with a resurrected body, he rose from the grave. And he's on the shore after doing a miracle with the disciples in the boat. John 21 says he somehow beat him to shore. And as the boat comes to shore with a boat full of fish, it's so simple. John 21 says Jesus has already prepared breakfast over a campfire. And he says, are you hungry for breakfast? It's so simple. Why did Jesus do that? Well, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, Tim Chester writes, the meals of Jesus represent something bigger. They represent a new world, a new kingdom, a new outlook. The meals are more than food. They're social occasions. They represent friendship. Community and welcome. If you have somebody in your life who loves to cook, or if you have somebody in your life who loves to eat, I would fall on the ladder. Let me encourage you to pick up this book on Amazon or one of our local stores if they'll order it for you A Meal with Jesus. It's a neat little treasure. Just read it through this week. You can read it through in one sitting. It's like 50 or 60 pages, I think. It's pretty small, but I think you'll enjoy it A Meal with Jesus. So we're almost done. In ancient times, God used meals to symbolize peace. In the New Testament, Jesus, God the Son, used meals to symbolize peace. But number three, Jesus gave communion to the church to symbolize our peace with God and our peace with one another. Jesus gave communion to the church to symbolize our peace with God and one another. Peace is more than just the absence of conflict. Think about it with me for a minute. This peace that Jesus is talking about doesn't just mean quiet, right? Can you have total quiet and not have peace? What do you think? Yes, absolutely. I'll give you an illustration. Um, it, was, it was the summer before my wife and I were married and we, were, we, hadn't, quite, we hadn't got engaged yet. We're on a four-wheeler in Clay County, uh, just outside of Avydale where my dad's farm is. We're riding the roads, and we go out on the main road. We're 16, and Route 4 come together it's near Ivydale there. And we're out on the main road because I thought you had to go out on the main road, and I thought you went like 100 yards and turned up another holler, right? We call them logging roads. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, I couldn't find the road. So we're out on this 55-mile-an-hour road on a four-wheeler with no helmets, and I'm getting nervous. I'm like, where's the road? And so I'm winding out the four-wheeler, and she's riding behind me, and she's hanging on to me, and she's, you know, starting to sh- express her, she's in the room, so I want to be careful, start to express her lack of approval, right, right? And so um, I'm like, man, i just hang on a little bit longer if I just got like another mile on this road. Well, if we'd gotten pulled over, you know, it would have been really, really bad. Um, and so finally, I'd had enough, right? I'd had enough of her disapproval. And so I, we're going, I don't know how our fast four-wheelers go, 50-something mile an hour or more, and I, I just leaned back, and I just said, will you shut up, right? Well, she shut up, <laughs> but we didn't have peace, right? <laughs> it was very quiet for the rest of the day. We didn't have peace. And in 18 years, I'm learning, I'm learning that you can have quiet, but not peace, and, and and God is calling us to something more than just quiet. He's calling us to a place of wholeness, a place of flourishing. The word shalom, the Hebrew word shalom for peace, they used to use the same word when they would look at a wall. And if the wall was completely whole, no cracks, no gaps, they would describe that wall as in the state of shalom. There's no cracks, there's no gaps, it's, it's whole. But unfortunately, all of us are born into this world with cracks and gaps and holes in our lives. That's called sin. We chose sin, but also it is in our spiritual DNA, inherited from our great-great-great-grandfather, Adam. We sin because we're sinners. And this cracks these gaps in our lives. We make poor choices, and we rebel against God, and we deliberately sin and disobey and high-handedly stiff-arm God. Jesus came because we had gaps. And what he did by dying on the cross is he took the penalty for our cracks. He took the penalty for our gaps, the penalty for our sin to save us. He took the judgment. He gave us the shalom. And when we put our faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean that instantly all the gaps and cracks of our lives are completely gone. But he starts the process of transforming us. And one day he'll ultimately restore us. And in the new heavens and new earth, because of resurrection, there'll be no more cracks. There'll be no more gaps. We'll have perfect shalom, perfect wholeness, perfect peace. This is why Isaiah 9, 6 calls him the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Peace. This is why Luke says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. This is why Paul writes in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, he made peace through the blood of his cross. And so today when we celebrate communion, it would be awesome if we had a table big enough for all of us to sit around. That would be a big table. But but even though we don't have a big table, we're going to pass little things of juice and little things of bread and it's as if it, it all comes from one table. And when we celebrate communion in a moment, remember, remember the, the reason. What I wanted you to know today was simply this. Communion is proof that we have peace with God. Think of it this way. Knowing what you know about yourself, do you think God would call you this afternoon and invite you over for lunch? Ugh. Probably not. Communion says he already did. And he invites you into an eternity of fellowship where one day the great marriage supper of the Lamb and for eternity to come, you can dine with the King. As as our ushers get ready for communion, I want to encourage you to do two things today. One, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, Will you use this communion to be the time when you personally commit your life to Christ? There's no set prayer in the Bible that makes you a Christian, but the Scriptures do say whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you don't know you're a Christian, you don't have that assurance that you're on your way to heaven, a prayer doesn't get you there. But faith in Jesus Christ is what He requires. Often that's expressed in a prayer, so in a moment I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you from the the bottom of your heart to call on the name of the Lord and ask Him to be your Savior, the Lord of your life. But those of us who are believers, maybe you've been a Christian for a year, maybe for many years, let me encourage you to use this time to thank God for the peace that He gave you that we see so clearly represented in communion. He's invited you to dinner because he loves you. Not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did. Why is it so important that we do one of these two things? Well, again, I want you to have a good Christmas. I want Christmas for you to be more than just presents and trees and debt and lights and traffic. But I want Christmas for you to truly be about Christ. And the second reason I'm asking you to do these things is because of communion. We do communion every other month, and the Lord has just impressed upon my heart. We need to make a bigger deal out of communion. So I want you to have a good Christmas, and I want you to have a good communion. Let me invite our servers to join me here at the front. As they're heading this way, a couple things to remember. We'll all partake at the end, and so whenever the trays are passed, if you'll just wait to the very end, we'll partake together. And then there's a cup within a cup, so you want to make sure you get the juice and the bread. They're stacked on top of each other. Make sure you get both of those. I want to pray now. And if you want to put your life, your your heart, your faith in Christ, in a moment I'm going to give you that chance. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the church. And thank you for that beautiful promise, that beautiful word that Christ died for the church. And Lord, we gather today to celebrate this truth. We know this is so much more than just a symbol. It's so much more than just a memorial. In some spiritual way right now, we are about to share this, this portion of a meal with you. So God, may that weight fall on us. Father, I pray you'd work in our hearts to do ministry. Let communion teach us how to do ministry in 2019. I pray we'd open up our homes more. And show the hospitality of communion on a Tuesday night by serving someone dinner. Father, I pray that friendships would be strengthened this year. New friends would be made. And Lord, help us to not worry about anything except glorifying you and producing more maturing followers for Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to put your faith in Christ you'd like to pray and commit your life to Christ, you can do that right now. Just pray these words with me in your heart, from the bottom of your heart. Jesus hears, Jesus saves. Dear Lord, I need your peace. I know I'm a sinner. I know I have gaps in my life. But I believe Jesus loves me. I believe he died on the cross to save me. I believe he rose the third day. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Begin to change me from the inside out. Make me more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. If you pray that, celebrate today your first communion. As a Christian, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's partake together.
1: Jesus bled and died for me. I see His wounds, His hands, His feet. The star is still Oh, praise the. Chills roar for Christ our King.
0: The Apostle Paul, he wasn't part of the the initial 12 who got to travel with Jesus for three years. But you can just see in his writings that he would have loved it. And even though he had his own private time with Jesus and training in the desert, the Apostle Paul constantly pointed back to what the disciples got to experience in those three years. And Paul loved to talk about that upper room where Jesus gave us the first communion and he, he says in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given things, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This peace as we know, affects us not just spiritually. It affects us emotionally, affects us physically, affects us relationally, mentally. And here at Bible Center, we want to do ministry in such a way that we can actually show the gospel in all five of those ways. We're trying to minister to the whole person, love people where they are. We know the gospel is the only gospel that saves, but we can model the gospel by how much we love people. People don't often know how much we care, don't care how much we know, Until they know how much we care. We watch this short video with me and see what God is doing through you as you've loved people well this year.
2: Thank you.
3: You know, after Lynn and Owen started coming to church here, Owen's vocabulary expanded a little bit. And Lynn would hear him at home starting to say, church, And you'd want to come on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, church, church. And then he started saying, bus. At the end of the service, he would run from the room downstairs, up the stairs, and out the front doors because he loves riding on the shuttle buses. And then not long after that, he started saying, Emily, Emily, who is our special needs director. You know, last year when we got to our Christmas offering, we decided we were going to work on two things. We wanted to launch a special needs ministry, and we wanted to launch a city ministries um, to help us reach people. And many times when you launch these types of things and you and you start to to reach out, you want to you want to help people. You want to reach to people that maybe you you haven't reached to before and in the middle of all that, we're the ones that end up being helped. Yeah, I'm convinced that one of the greatest gifts that God has given the church today is kids affected by special needs. It's such a picture of who God is. Yeah, it's different than maybe what we would call normal. But it's such a picture of who God is to us. And so many times I find that I'm not the one that's in ministry to them, but they're the ones that are in ministry to me. That happens because you as a church, we as a church, have decided to give. and We've given our time. You saw some names there on the wall in that video. And those are people that serve. There are people serving right now in our room to minister to these families. So it takes time to do that. It takes time to be in the city and in neighborhoods and and giving up time of your day and and being part of what's going on. It takes time to do that. It also takes talent. You heard Lynn's story. Um, some of you have a talent to, to put a roof on. That would not be me. I would not be included in that number. But some of you have that talent, and some of you have other talents that We have to give in order to serve our city and to serve people around us well. But it also takes treasure. It takes treasure. And last year when we did this offering, this Christmas offering, that was the point. We wanted to to take a room and we wanted to change that room over. And so it needed supplies to do that. And that room is open and has been open since February of last year. And we had to hire a director, someone who knew what they were doing, and so we were able to do that. And our city ministries, it, it took a point person, and so hiring a director, it, it takes finances to do that. And so it, it takes us as a church being willing to sacrifice to continue to reach the people around us that we haven't reached yet. I don't know if you're like me and you waited till yesterday to do your Christmas shopping, but... Um, I like it. I think it's fun. And so I came to Southridge yesterday because there was energy, and there were people, and there were people everywhere. But I'm walking through Kohl's, and I'm walking through Target, and I'm walking through Best Buy, and I'm looking at at all these people, and I don't recognize anybody. There are so many people in our city that we we have yet to share the love of Christ with. It's going to take us sacrificing our time. It's going to take us sacrificing our talents. It's going to take us sacrificing our treasure. And that one sometimes is the one that hurts the most because it's our treasure. This Christmas, we have an opportunity to continue to fund those ministries. I checked with Lee and Romy, and we're about $475,000 short of where we need to be as we head into the new year to fully fund our ministries, that includes city ministries, that includes our special needs ministries, that includes supporting our missionaries all around the world, that includes our children's ministries and our student ministries and worship, what takes place in here. Everything that happens through Bible Center is funded through our general fund. What an opportunity we have to continue to reach into our city. What an opportunity we have to show that for the Christian, who is aware of what God has done for us, generosity is just normal. That's just who we are because that's who Jesus is. I'm going to invite the ushers to come, and we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to give. Give because there are so many more people in our city, in our county, in our state, in our world that need to experience the love of Christ. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for what you're doing. Just one story of what could be and has been thousands. We pray that you would use this church, continue to use this church to reach people for you. We want to welcome them to your table. We're blown away that you would even consider using us to be part of that. So help us to focus on priorities. Help us to invest in eternity and we thank you for what you're doing in and through us here at bible center pray that you would bless this offering to extend grace to the ends of the earth in jesus name we pray amen